I contend that we are all four to six to 10 seconds of silence away or two to three or four more great open-ended questions away from attaching to and identifying the biggest problem. You're listening to the Audible Ready Podcast, the show that helps you and your teams sell more faster. We'll feature sales leaders sharing their best insights on how to create a sales engine that helps you fuel repeatable revenue growth. Presented by the team at Force Management, a leader in B2B sales effectiveness. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Rachel Clapp-Miller with the Audible Ready Sales Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I am joined by Dale Monin, a Force Management Facilitator. Hi, Dale. Thanks for being with me. Rachel, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Good, good. And Dale and I have been having some conversations about bringing him in on the podcast and and what topics he wanted to talk about. And Dale, when we talked about you coming on for this episode, we are brainstorming topics. And one of the things you said that you were really passionate about was helping salespeople move from good to great to elite. And who doesn't want to do that in their sales career? Indeed. I want to, and I'm still striving to. (laughs) Yes. It's a never-ending goal, you know, to mm-hmm. get to that elite level. And, and people that strive to be elite never feel like they've arrived. They maintain the hunger and the drive to get there. So I love the topic. And it's not always something that you hear with respect to sellers. I normally hear the word elite and relate it to, and maybe many of our listeners do, to athletes. You know, we're... we're but we sellers are also, you know, metaphorically speaking, we're sales athletes and, and we should all strive to be elite, to gain that edge, that drive, that hunger that I mentioned to be the very best at what we do. Because if that's absent, quite frankly, I'm afraid that, that that's too big of a gap for sheer talent or skill to overcome. It's a qualitative element, the attitude, you know, that drives us to be the very best that we can be. In fact, I had a a seasoned vice president of enterprise sales recently replay for me that the notion of elite with respect to sellers was, was actually novel for him. Many of us, and this is credit to Jim Collins and his book, Good to Great, mm-hmm. understand that element or that aspect. But he actually shared with me that hearing me say going from good to great and then great to elite was a novel idea for him. And it ended up being one of the primary things that resonated with him throughout the training that I led for his organization and opened up the aperture for him what just might be or should be the expectation of leaders in developing the talent that they're entrusted with, but also the anticipation or the desired goal of those that we lead. So it's a really exciting topic. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Yeah, it's interesting you make the athlete analogy. I did a webinar a bit ago with Joe Marson, who is the head of sales at Click Software when when we worked with them. And that's what he calls his sales reps, sales athletes. And, you know, in meetings or whatever, that's that's the term because of the reasons that you mentioned. And it's also this grind to strive to be better. And, you know, people who are elite are still working to be better. And when you engage an elite seller, you know it. And we often say, you know, Dale, that the, that sales is a, is a game of inches and it's, it's those small things that really separate the best from, from the rest. So let's talk about what are some ways we can 
align to the buyer in an elite way that, and I think often that starts with how you're prepping for your meetings. Well, a lot of, a lot of really, you know, great gems that you just put <laughs> forth out there. And, you know, we, we don't do this because it's easy. We, we do it because it's hard. And the, 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 the words of President JFK, you know, years ago when, when we were, the U.S. was trying, I know we have an international audience, but when the U.S. was trying to land the, a man on the moon, they said, we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's hard. And that's what elite athletes understand. And elite sales athletes understand the game of inches, particularly in a high-tech selling environment. So I hope that the notion of preparation and aligning with our buyers is table stakes right. for, our, for our listeners. But mm-hmm. you know, elite athletes prepare for hours, days, months. You know, with the Olympics coming up this summer in Japan, years. They've been preparing years for this. So I love the idea of selling as a game of inches, particularly in the tech space, because if the market validates the value that another product or organization is bringing, it won't be long that others will get it, crack it open, and try to copy the secret. So, you know, does that diminish from how we differentiate ourselves and what we have and what we do or, or who we are? Absolutely not. Rather, it's, it's, it's really about the edge, even if it's slight, that we might be able to leverage by introducing that differentiation into the required capabilities to get our clients from where they are today to where they want to be. So when you talk about, you know, the game of inches, I'll, I'll just go back to, to analogy around sports. And I, I know that those of you that have been exposed to force management for, for any amount of time probably are inclined to hear us uh, speak in sports analogies. But just very simply, I actually bring the story of a, of a championship game from college football a number of years ago into my sales trainings in which the losing coach and this is key. The losing coach was interviewed. It's easy to celebrate and pump our fists around the winners. But the losing coach was asked and interviewed Rachel. And he said, what did you tell those young men on the field after they lost, you know, in a heartbreaking last play? And he said, we've got to continue to look for the inches. We've got to look for the inches, look for those small gaps and advantages that we can leverage that will be the matter or be the difference between winning or losing. So really good topic for you. That's such a great story and a great analogy to say, look for the inches, because as you know, you can have a great sales call or you have a deal that really is textbook and it follows all the right things. Your conversations go great. You can have those moments, but it's the daily rhythm of what we are doing as sales people that differentiates us. You mentioned earlier, right? We differentiate ourselves by how we sell. And it's the culmination of the days and days and days by the rigor and the discipline that we put behind our roles that allow us to operate from at an elite level and get from good to great to, to elite. You know, sales conversations, you would say, is, is, our, is our playing field. We're doing them every day. And there's a nuance to them, right? There's an art to executing them correctly. I'm curious in your trainings and the reps that you train, how do you encourage them to differentiate themselves in the execution of that those sales conversations? Really good. There's that word art, you know, mm-hmm. discovery and the way that we engage in really powerful discourse is both art and science. 
And for me, you know, in our in our methodology, we espouse a certain intention or purpose around how we engage in this discovery. But of course, you know, we need to be ourselves. You know, do you be you? I often say that. So that's the art form that comes into play. And with that, you know, leverage the sensibilities that we already possess as being very good in conversations where it matters for us. And so if we're not asking questions to me, and I'm going to put this really simply, if we're not asking questions that create a pause for thought in the minds of our, our customers and prospects, if we don't put them literally, physically back in their chairs, if they're not scratching their chin, rubbing their brow, having some impact in terms of the questions and, and the way that we engage in, in conversations with them, we're just not going far enough. We're not going far enough or deep enough to get to the root cause of any dysfunction you know, that they are living with or experiencing inside of their organizations. And in general, I guess the, the, the takeaway I would, I would share with our listeners is listen to your language. Listen to the way that you engage in conversation. And I hope, that, in fact, the homework, Rachel, the, the unofficial homework that I assign individuals from, from, our, from our training weeks is to go home, you know, with your friends, family, loved ones, and listen to your conversations. Watch your language. Or my, my mom and dad actually told me always to watch my language, right? Watch my language. But I say, watch your language. Go home and leave this training and watch your language and observe what and how you are speaking. And hopefully we are delivering more commentary with question marks than with periods. And when we deliver that commentary with, with question marks, it demonstrates a genuine interest, concern, and care for the person with whom we are engaged. You know, and that doesn't mean that we don't believe and are inspired by the work and the technology and the products and the services that we bring to bear, but it just means that we have to pivot a little bit more from us to them. It's one of the key tenets of, as you know, command message methodology, the outside in mindset or mentality which said, let's start with you on the other side. And then we'll work backwards to me and my highly differentiated solutions. I, I will often invoke C.S. Lewis, you know, the 19th century British author who, who said, it doesn't mean that we have to think less of ourselves but just maybe think of ourselves less. And to me, that's what really illustrates and highlights the outside-in mindset that the command the message methodology is built upon. That's great. Think of think less of yourself. You don't have to think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. That's a great thing to write on your post-it note, stick it to your computer before you make those sales calls. You know, it makes me also think of a recent episode. Well, I guess it's a couple of weeks back now with your colleague, Antonella O'Day, who really talked about being comfortable with an uncomfortable tension in the conversation and asking those questions. But I know that's where it becomes difficult for a lot of reps, particularly if you're kind of a greener rep, if you're newer and you're talking to a very seasoned a buyer or potential customer. Let's kind of go through some of the mistakes you think that reps make or the common mistakes they have in executing against those types of scenarios in discovery, digging deep, et cetera. Okay, great. Well, I love what you shared about Antonella. You know, to tie back to that, to me, it's about there's a lot of courage involved in, in great dialogue. Hopefully, there's a natural curiosity 
that you're bringing to your conversations and a concern, a genuine concern that you care. You care about the other person and you're not trying to make them wrong. You're actually in service to them and wanting to solve a problem that's worth solving. And if we can, why don't we? And if I can't, you know what? I'll be the first to say that I can't do that. So what Antonella said is leads to those three C's of curiosity, courage, and concern, and bring those sensibilities into the conversations with our prospects and customers professionally. There's no reason to check those sensibilities at the door. They will really serve us and most importantly, the customer very, very well. So to answer your question more directly, the mistakes that I'll just own this for myself, the mistakes that I make, make, right? (laughs) Speaking of not pointing any fingers, is that, you know, I don't ask if, first of all, I don't ask the great provocative, open-ended questions that evoke the most thoughtful response. You know, I talked about that in terms of if we're not putting folks back on their heels a little bit, if we're not asking those sorts of questions from which both of us learn, the seller and the buyer, that's the first mistake I make. And then probably more prevalent in my dialogue is that if I do ask a knockout question, you know, that's open-ended, a TED question, as many of our listeners probably know, tell me about, explain for me, describe for me, walk me through. If I do ask that question, I don't stand in the silence that ensues. If it's a really great question and I've actually put the prospect in a situation where they're having to think about the answer, I'm hearing no one's ever asked me that before. That's a great question. I know that I've touched something important for them. And so let them think about that. Let them process that. What I end up doing though is a mistake is I jump in and I hijack that wonderful, beautiful silence by asking another question. And very often it's the multiple choice variety and we fill it with all these things that that all of a sudden, I'll say let them off the hook. And I don't mean that again in a, in a vindictive or in a, in, a, in a negative way, but it's they're there and they are getting comfortable with that discomfort that you, you described Antonella bringing into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And if I'm given a multiple choice response, then, you know, normally I will take the one which is the least punitive and the one that makes me look or feel, you know, less bad about my current situation. And the problem with that is that we don't get, again, back to that root cause. And I might be able to give a good reason. J.P. Morgan was the wealthy uh, 19th century industrialist who said, there's two reasons people respond for anything. One is the, the good reason. The other is the real reason. And we're all, speak, going back to elite, I contend that we are all four to six to 10 seconds of silence away or two to three or four more great open-ended questions away from attaching to and identifying the biggest problem that our customers are living with and how we can solve them. That's great. And when we, you know, we talk about those little dials that you can turn up and tangible tips that you can take away from some of our conversations here on the podcast. I mean, just think if this week you gave it another five seconds before you asked your next question or you asked, you committed to yourself to ask a couple more, what a difference that may make. I have taught in, you know, various capacities over my career. And I remember when I've had like some teaching training, they would say, 
you know, if you're in front of the room, you need to give it at least seven seconds when you ask a question for somebody to raise their hand, for a student to raise their hand and respond. And, you know, that, like you said, I mean, that can feel uncomfortable. It can, you know, you, you might think you did something wrong, particularly I think on Zoom, you're like, oh, is, is my volume not up? What's happening here? But to really sit in that is what differentiates elite people from those that just kind of go through the motions. And we can differentiate ourselves as much by how we sell and how we engage as what we sell. And yeah. you know that better than any of us. Right <laughs> so when, when we talk about, you know, waiting those couple extra seconds, Dale, or, or asking those couple extra questions, how do I know when I need to do that? How do I know when I've done enough discovery in my sales process or, or with that specific person? Trust your instincts, you know, yeah. trust your, your, if you feel like something's just off, I'm not quite there, things aren't landing, message sent doesn't always equal message received, we'll know that, you know, but then we'll also know just in terms of our rhythmic sensibilities when, when we've hit the mark, when we landed well, because they're leaning in, Rachel, they're fully engaged and they're eager. And even if it's over, over the wire in this virtual world, we still can, we still do know, we still really do know when we're there because they're excited and they're like, great. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for understanding my business. Now, how can you help address the functionality and the capabilities that I'm currently lacking in order to get me to this future state, this ideal world and the associated positive business outcomes that will come with that world? So that, that's the short answer, quite frankly. I hope it's good enough. Sometimes brevity is, is powerful. Right. No. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a complicated discovery. It's, you know, that's where deals are won and lost, as, as we always said. So it's just great to hear a, di- a different perspective on that. And now I think, you know, once you're moving forward in that sales process, obviously there's a lot of areas where that deal can go awry. And we just push for critical alignment with that, with that buyer. And again, I think I could do the entire podcast, I could call the podcast Gaining Buyer Alignment this, instead of the Audible Ready podcast because it's such a big topic. But in terms of this to- this idea of good to great to elite, the game of inches, you know, waiting a couple extra seconds, asking a couple of extra questions, what are your best tips for moving that needle to better alignment with your buyer as you move forward in that sales process? Again, I think it's bringing into our professional lives what we already know personally. If I'm walking down the path with anyone towards a shared or common goal, and that's what we're about, I hope that we have a mentality in sales as problem solvers, right? And and sales and us sale will happen as a result. So if I'm aligned and I'm selling the way the customer wants to buy in relation to what he or she has shared as the most primary, most important needs that they'd like for someone to solve, whether it's me or another, for someone to solve, because we engage as advisors, as consultants for them, then once we recognize the hesitation or reticence about moving forward, right? We start this path, we look ahead together, we're shoulder to shoulder. And I say that intentionally because shoulder to shoulder indicates that we are on the same team. Toe to toe indicates a more adversarial or, or a combative sort of image. But shoulder to shoulder, we look ahead and we start walking, right? And we engage and we're walking on this path together. As soon as one of us stops, isn't it natural that we would stop and back up and meet them where they are? And 
double click on where they are, what's wrong, what did they hear, see, or feel that caused them to stop, and then go back to our discovery, align or realign with asking the great questions with courage and curiosity and concern to understand why the stop, why the pause, where are we? So that to me is really the, the most simple way to drive, you know, drive alignment and keep alignment as key in our, uh, our work with customers. So great, that, great question. Great that, I appreciate that explanation. You know, that's a question I ask a lot on this podcast to the various people that we have on. And, you know, we talk about qualification and being voracious qualifiers and qualifying our deals with our champions and the buying criteria and the decision process. And all of that is so important. Like I'm not diminishing the importance of that at, at all, but in another layer that you can use as you're looking for those customer verifiable outcomes to move a deal forward is to ask yourself, am I shoulder to shoulder with these people or are we toe to toe? And that's a good, good gut check for us, Dale. Great. I'm glad that resonates. Yes. So as we, as we kind of go back to that good to great to elite point, and I think I said it earlier, it's about the discipline you have as a salesperson around what you're what you're executing. And I know those of you out there listening, you've heard us say that before. You've heard it throughout your career. You're like, I know I got to be disciplined and disciplined. But knowing it and doing it are two different things. Like each day you wake up, what are you doing um, to stay disciplined and stay motivated, right? Being disciplined means you have to stay motivated. And it can be difficult to get out of the monotony of sales. Sometimes the opiate of the number, the every quarter, the goals of the year, especially when you, when you feel like you're struggling, how do you encourage reps to stay motivated, to keep cranking on that elite behavior? Mm, that's a, that's a great question. You put me on the spot here. Ah. Motivation is a, it's an interior topic, right? And, and in the interior work that I've done with other professionals and people who I rely on to hold me accountable for staying motivated for the goals I'm trying to achieve, you know, that I will often hear from them that, you know, I don't think myself into new ways of living. I've got to live myself into new ways of thinking. And, and the late Stephen Covey said it so well. He said, just knowing something isn't going to change our lives. It's, it's, it's the doing which changes our lives. So whether that motivation comes from, from an intrinsic or extrinsic source, if I'm earlier in my career, yeah, I want the salary, the benefits, the compensation, the commission check, the extrinsic motivation. But for, for a guy like me who's later in my career, it's intrinsically what drives me. You know, what am I geared around? Do I really believe that what I do in my work matters, the culture of my organization, what we represent, what we stand for, our core values, all of that becomes important and drives me to get up, get out of bed, put two feet on the floor and, and carry the flag, you know, quite frankly. And so in doing so, when I do all these things, the sale will just fall out as a result because I'm doing the right things. We at Force Management, as you know, Rachel, <laughs> we're all about increasing seller effectiveness and effectiveness. The simplest definition of that for me is doing the right things. It's doing the right things at the right time for the right people. And when we do all that again, you know, with curiosity, with courage and with genuine concern, they'll know it. They'll know that we are in service to them and solving their problems, helping them realize their positive business outcomes. And I will get what I want out of it, you know, intrinsically or extrinsically help them 
and the benefits and, and the reward will come as a result. I hope that that was sensible enough. Yes, it's sensible enough. You know, I think I love bringing our facilitators on and I like asking them sort of the same questions because everybody has sort of a different take. And I know those of you listening out there, just if a little tidbit may help give you some some spirit for the day, the week, and, and even the quarter. So as we wrap up this big topic, Dale, let's sum it up for me with a, with a good bottom line. Bottom line. Let me breathe in and breathe out. So oh, it's Lord. Something impactful. Let me don't get in my leave, yoga pose. Yeah. Don't leave your sensibilities at the door. Bring them with you. Wherever you are, there you go. And you will often hear us say that. What I just mentioned about curiosity, courage, and concern, these are characteristics that we leverage in our relationships that, that matter most to us you know, at home. Why not leverage what we're already very, very good at? with our customers. There's no reason to manufacture some alter ego for our professional relationships. We are, you know, the, you are, I guess I should say, you know, who you are is the person we hired to be. And you are a differentiator for your organization. I said it earlier, be you, do you, and just observe how much that resonates with folks. You will be noticed for this. So continue to differentiate yourself by how you sell and who you are. Speak with more questions than periods. Oh, and that's a great, great takeaway. Another good thing to write on a post-it note for your computer for your next sales video sales call. Dale, thank you so much for talking through this with me today. I enjoyed our conversation. My absolute pleasure, Rachel. Thank you. And thank you to all of you for listening to the Audible Ready Sales Podcast. At Force Management, we're focused on transforming sales organizations into elite teams. Our proven methodologies deliver programs that build company alignment and fuel repeatable revenue growth. Give your teams the ability to execute the growth strategy at the point of sale. Our strength is our experience. The proof is in our results. Let's get started. Visit us at forcemanagement.com. You've been listening to the Audible Ready Podcast. To not miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Until next time.